I'm going to forewarn you that at the end of the message, we're going to do something again that's special. So, so it'll be a little bit different at the end of the message today, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> Just in case you get mad at my preaching and want to leave, you'll probably stay to see what's happening special. So, yeah, like they said, you know, if you uh, need inner healing, which everybody in this room does, don't all jump in there at one time. Uh, you know, there's these these uh, demons called Velcro demons. Y'all know what those are? They're the kinds you're walking around and uh, out in your life and something gets on you. And you can, sometimes you need somebody to help you pull it off. And you hear that sound. <laughs> well, it really happens. So, um... I'm going to start. I got to start. I got to behave and be disciplined this morning. Anyways, um, <clears throat> so, you know, um, I was preaching a lot out of the book of Revelation, uh, not revelations, like a lot of people say, it's revelation. Uh, and for a long time, it seems. And I'm just going to remind you of this. Uh, I started that because, well, I just was looking for some answers from the Lord. Because of the world that we lived in, you know, and, you know, with all that has gone on in the world, uh, I just felt like I needed something from the Lord fresh, uh, on a, just on a personal level and for my family and for you, for the church. And so I think I've shared this a hundred times, but it was just out of the blue, I got this thought, I bet, the, I bet there's answers in the seven churches in the book of Revelation, because obviously those were churches that Jesus addressed after, you know, after he ascended to heaven. And so then I got this other great idea. Well, I probably should read, just start at the beginning and kind of read through and see if the Lord will speak to me. And so it was really a, just an amazing journey for me personally. I don't know about you if you ever got anything out of it. I know a few people did because they said they did, but it was very impacting me. Uh, on a personal level, because I never, I just went through the first five chapters, and that was it for me. Other people can do the rest. I actually thought about doing the last two, but I don't really need to do that, um, because I feel like I'm done there. But I will say, I feel like I re- received some impartation from the Lord somewhere in the middle of all that. And I think the main thing that I received, uh, just how precious the Lord is. And it just really caused something to come alive in me about the Lord and just a, a desire to to know the Lord in ways I've never known him before and realizing there's the Lord is, uh, he's many-faced. He has much, there's much to him and so much more than I'd ever dreamed. Uh, and it, for somehow the Lord let me see, get glimpses of himself in the book of Revelation, of just that I'd never really seen before. I've read hundreds of times. Um, so it was really hugely impacting to me, um, and I didn't really want to stop, but I felt that I was done. You know, when you're done, you're done. So maybe one day I'll go do it again, but probably not here, because I, I don't know if I'll be able to last that long to get enough something that would be fresh on it. But so I was really seeking the Lord, and I started thinking about the wedding in Cana, and it really just started ministering to my heart. Uh, just went and started reading it, and thinking about that beautiful scene 
in the Gospel of John. Um, really began to speak to me. And then the whole book of the Gospel of John started speaking to me. Um, so I wanted to have a, I got a few messages out of the Gospel of John that just stored, it just came up, it just came alive to me. So this morning I wanted to just kind of give you the, the 30,000 feet view. You know what that is? 30,000 feet is you're flying over and you're looking on, you know how, I remember the first time I was ever in an airplane, me and Becky first got married and I was flying somewhere for work, and I remember seeing my house down there, that little bitty-looking thing, but inside that house was my beautiful wife, you know, in my home, and the most precious things there were to me were in that little bitty box down there that I saw from the airplane. Well, that's what I'm going to try to do, is just kind of give you an overview, and then just see where the Lord takes me, you know, in the future, he could take us all home, but that would be better, right? Then we could hear Jesus tell it himself, and that would be so beautiful. I'm going to read, first of all, John 20, and I'm going to go fast, because what I want to do at the end is very important to me. This is the very end. This is actually the purpose statement of the Gospel of John. He puts it at the end, not at the beginning. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's just sort of how God works. He don't do. He doesn't work like we work. We would put it all at the front. Everybody needs to know what the purpose is. We're going to start here. This is the purpose. This is where we're going. Well, John waits to the end to tell everybody. But what he wants you to do is get something because there's all this stuff hidden in this book that speaks. It says, "And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book." But these are written, listen, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. So it was written for people to know the Lord. It was written for us to receive faith. It was written that for, if we have faith, for our faith to come alive. It was written for us to be believers to really believe something, and it activates belief in us. And so I think a lot of people suffer with doubt. How many people have suffered with doubt about the Lord at times? And of course you have. The rest of you are not being honest. Everybody suffers with doubt. So to me, though, this book is the answer for our doubt. It is the answer for our doubt. Because, in, because doubt for you. If you doubt is, is normal, it's, it's a natural thing, but if you feed doubt, if you walk with doubt, if you commune with doubt, it will take you into darkness. Right? So when you begin to have doubts, you go to the Lord and let the Lord help you with your doubts, and He'll help you with your doubts. And sometimes we have to, we have to be willing to, leave our, to sit our doubts down. Even when we don't have the answers to our doubts, we just have to let them, we have to set them aside, but not let them become the thing in our life. Amen? Well, the word believe is found nearly a hundred times in this book. So it really is a gospel of believing. That's really what it is. It's a gospel of believing. Um, and, and you know, we all know that everything you do, everything you are flows from what you believe. Arthur Burke told us, one of our spiritual fathers, who's long with the Lord, your believing rules you. You do not rule your believing. 
Here, let me say that one more time for people who've never really thought this through. Your believing rules you. You do not rule your believing. And so that's why I got John wrote the gospel because he wanted us to be ruled by the right person. He wanted to reveal that right person to us. Are y'all following this? When we believe the Lord Jesus, we can discover, listen to this, we can discover the way, this is key, to stop defining ourselves by our failures. Yeah. When we believe the Lord Jesus, we can discover the way to stop defining ourselves by our failures. But rather, like, the, like John, the, the, the writer of this gospel, we can begin to define ourselves as one who Jesus loves. And that's really what happened to him because John did not begin that way. Let me just go ahead and tell you the punchline. John began, him and his brother James, they were called the sons of thunder. If you look in Luke 9, they literally wanted to call fire down on a whole city because they didn't like the way people treated Jesus. That was the beginning of that man. He had a lot of fire in him. He wasn't the apostle of love at that time. But this is what he wrote helped him when he began. You see, this is the thing, y'all. I think we had to see the Lord. I think we had to begin to see Jesus in a clear way. But, you know, let that be the center of everything. And let that be the thing we go after. And, and here, here's the thing. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus... See, this is what you do when you're, when you're in doubt, looking unto Jesus, this is Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author or pioneer is one of the translations, the pioneer and finisher of our faith. And that's what this book will do for you. It'll help you. You see, my, my original, I'm speaking, taking way too much time on this. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock thinking I'm in trouble already. <laughs> Let me say this. My original quest was to find practical answers back in, I'm going back to my desires last, in the last year about revelation, was find answers. But what I found was a person. And somehow in finding him, it helped me. It helped me realize I don't have to have answers because he's the answer. The more I see him, the more I know him, the more I connect with him, the answers fall in place. And sometimes the only answer there is is peace in the middle of a storm, okay? Sometimes a storm is going to rage in your life that you can't really speak to for some reason and make it work, but you can have peace on the inside. And so I begin to find this peace within me, okay? A peace within me looking unto Jesus because he took the little bit of shook up faith that I had at that moment. And begin to settle it. He's the author and finisher. He's the pioneer of faith. He created it. He brought it forth. And he's promised to complete it. You see what I'm saying? And so what happened to John was John went on this journey with Jesus. Literally, physically. And he started out sons of thunder, fiery. Let's get them, God. Let's bring fire down on these, these, these bad people. But before he was, before he was, it was over with. He became. He even referred to himself as the as the the one who Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And every one of those meals that they would have, John would be the one next to Jesus, 
because it was pretty tight if you read how they ate. I don't know how they ate. The way they, they, lay, they nearly laid down eating in those days and leaned on each other. Isn't that something? So when you don't know what to do, y'all, when you don't know what's going on and when you just are at the end of your rope, you can't find the will of God, you can't steal yourself, this is, this, this, Jesus is the, is the answer for us. He's always going to be the answer, y'all. He will always be the answer, and we will always go back to this person. And it will do something to you. It will change you. And if you're a Holy Ghost person, have no worries. Because Jesus says, I'm sending somebody just like me called the Holy Ghost. And if you're a father person, don't worry about it because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen him. So we're covered. You can't miss going after Jesus. You can't miss exalting Christ. It's a no miss. You've won the game. It's all over with. You're just walking it out. If you will truly reach to him, he really is the answer. He will unlock our hearts to see more and more of His beauty and glory. And I believe that's what the Gospel of John will do for us. It will unlock our hearts. Because lots of times our hearts are locked up. Lots of times they get shut down. But He can unlock it. You can't unlock your heart. I found that out. I thought I was swift at one point. Because I was always able to fix me. But I found a time where my heart felt locked down. And I did everything I could do to unlock it. But you know what unlocked it? I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And that unlocked it. He stuck the key in there and opened it. I, I, was, I was ready to go to, to, to counseling. I, you know, whatever it takes. But I couldn't take, Becky couldn't take me no more. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead a little bit here. The Gospel of John is unique, Right? It's different from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tend to tell more of the story, the history of Jesus, the teachings of the Jesus, the acts of Jesus. That's really what they describe from different, three different perspectives. But John talked more about the heart of Jesus, the inward person of who that person is and what that person's feelings are and what he thinks. So it was a whole, he takes a whole different angle on revealing the person of Christ. It's pretty amazing. So he, and really, that's what he does. He really, he works to unveil the mystery of Christ to us. Where they work to reveal the, the uh, history. There's a big difference between the history of a person and the mystery of a person. John gives us the ability to see the mystery of Christ. We, we can get those eyes to see that person in the gospel. John. It's, it's an, see, there's an impartation on the word of God. I don't know if a lot of people, I know a lot of charismatic people may not believe that because it gets so wrapped up into the experience, which I'm wrapped up in the experience. But my experience, I have found this. The Word of God can do something to you. There's power in Jesus' words. There's power in these words. They can unlock something. They can allow you to see something that you can't see. You can receive impartation. That's why we want anointed people doing healing because there's something beyond just what they're saying. There's an impartation that can write on those words. And that's why we need pre- preachers that are anointed because they can impart something to you. You may not be conscious of it at the moment, but later you can be. Amen? Yeah. So what's missing in the Gospel of John? Well, there's a lot that's missing in this Gospel compared to the other Gospel. I'm going to tell you a few of them. 
the conception and birth of Jesus is missing. His baptism is missing. The temptations of Jesus. There's no casting out of demons in the Gospel of John. The transfiguration is missing. The Last Supper is in there, but it's not mentioned. It's not talked about. The communion and all that really wonderful stuff. Jesus struggling in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is missing. And believe it or not, his ascension into heaven's missing. Wow. That's a... See, all of those things are like critical things, right? I mean, his ascension's everything. But it's not there. It's nowhere to be found in the gospel. Why? He was not trying to talk about these things. He was trying to talk about what was going on inside this man. Here's another thing. There's not many miracles in the gospel. There's only eight. Some people claim seven. Well, I can prove them wrong. I can, I can, I can, I really can. There's eight in there. I've counted them 20 times. Because I've heard all these messages about the seven miracles. You're like, no, there's eight. Why are y'all leaving the last one out? There's eight in there. I know why they're doing it. Because the eighth one happened after the resurrection. But I mean, stick with a miracle. Hey, here's another uh, thing that's missing. Preaching on the kingdom of God. He, I think the word kingdom is either two or three times mentioned. One time to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. The other time was Pilate in John 18 where he says, my kingdom's not of this world. That's the only two times where the other gospels is full. of. There's chapters dedicated to the parables of the kingdom. Matthew 13, I mean, just major stuff. And a lot of his messes were tied up around the kingdom, but not John. Not John. John has something else going uh, it's more of a converse. Are you, is this happening to anybody? Yeah. This will help you reading it when you start thinking about this kind of stuff. It's more conversational. Okay, it's more of a conversational book versus a preaching or teaching book. Most of what Jesus did in every chapter, it was, it was around conversations. I can only think of really one time where it gives us a formal message, and it was Jesus' most infamous message. If you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. John 6. That was a formal message he was given. That's when everybody laughed like, we're done with this fool. <laughs> hey, crazy. Well, I ain't eating that guy. <laughs> you know? That was his only message that was really recorded. Now, he did other messages because it talks, talked about him in their synagogues. But in every chapter, like chapter 1, he has these conversations with, with the original, the few first four or five disciples, Philip and Nathaniel. It's all conversation. Chapter 2 was with his mama. Okay, chapter 3 was with Nicodemus. Chapter 4 was with the woman at the well. Chapter 5 through 12 was with different people and situations that he ran into where he was doing the healing or the miracles of the of the same miracles, all the way to the very end. In the very last chapter, was he doing? Having a conversation. Chapter 13 through 17 is the Holy of Holies of the New Testament because it is where, it, that was really the last things that Jesus talked to his disciples about before he was crucified. Chapter 13 is the most, some of the most, you get the heart of Christ. Those, I've talked about them in like an Easter message or stuff, but those were the messages where, you know, within 24 hours he was going to be dead and he knew it. And he was telling his disciples the most precious stuff. Those chapters, read those chapters. They're, those really reveal his heart. And really what's going on inside of Jesus Christ. They really are the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. Um, so really, uh, you know, 
It's sit down at the table, conversation. Let's sit down at the table, guys, and have a conversation. That's what the Gospel of John's really like. It's like being at the supper table with Jesus and talking and him sharing things. It's like an invitational thing that when you really pay attention to this gospel, that's the way it feels to me when I read it. I feel this pull on me that, hey, just sit down. Let's, let's just talk. I don't want to preach you a message, you know. I want to talk to you. And that's really what this book's more, where the other gospels are more, you know, Jesus preaching power, going after demons. All that's important. But this is, this is of course, there's, uh, there's these seven I am statements. I think probably most of y'all know that, where Jesus identified. He said, this is who I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. He, there's seven of them where he absolutely declares, this is who I am. It would be like me asking Marlon, who? I'm Marlon, Marlon Magusa. Well, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He makes these very specific declarations about who he is in this, in this gospel where he ne- doesn't necessarily do it in the other gospels. I'm the way, the truth. I'm the resurrection. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door for the sheep. This is just amazing. It's amazing because we can begin to step into each of those things and, and it's like we step into something and see something we've never seen before because those are words to our little brains but to our hearts they can explode in us. They're bigger than the little word. They're bigger than the phrase. It's almost like, this is one thing I've discovered about the gospel. It's almost like you've got to read between the lines almost. It's like when you're saying, when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's like if you can read between it and go into that, there's something in there that's not apparent that will be hugely impacting to you. Are y'all getting this? All right, let me tell you what the key words are. I'm doing really pretty good here. Uh, love appears 57 times. Light appears 30 times. Beautiful, light is a beautiful thing in this gospel. Truth appears 22 times. And like I said, believe appears almost 100. I think actually 98 times believe it appears. Oh, and I want to tell you this word about the word believe in there. This is very interesting. The word believe in there, for all you beautiful people who've got beautiful minds and know stuff, uh, in every one of them, in every case, it's a verb. And in the Greek, just in case you're a Greek expert, it's because they have different tenses of verbs. It's crazy, man. It's the present continuous tense. Present, in other words, it's you keep doing something. You, it's never just believe one time. It's continual believing. Every case. You know what I just read to you? That, that you would believe, that, but it's really that you would keep believing. And as you keep believing, you'll have life. As you keep believing. It's not a one-time belief. God, John does not have a one-time belief anywhere in this gospel that I could find. It's always a continual. You know there's a scripture in, in Matthew where Jesus says, Keep seeking. Yes, knocking the door will be open. Ask it will be given to you. Seeking you'll find. Well, all those are in that continuous. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. So don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't keep asking God for stuff that you've already asked Him for. Because Jesus specifically said in Matthew in the gospel itself. Now, there is a time where he may say, you're done. Or there may be a time when you know in your heart, oh, it's taken care of. I don't even need to talk about that no more. But unless that happens, you can keep asking and be fully 
Isn't that beautiful? Don't you think that's interesting though? Continuous? Okay, the subject of sin. Oh, Lord. Did you know this? John talks about sin more than any of the other gospel writers. Isn't? Yes, well, I thought, what? The apostle of love is talking about sin? What the heck, Lord? But literally, he talks about sin more than Mark and uh, Matthew combined. John has something to say about sin. And we need to learn. Here, let me read this verse to you. This is really cool here. It's, this is, oh, wow, I love this. John chapter 20, 21 through 23. I'm going to get done on time. This is, the, this is the Great Commission in the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I love this Great Commission. This Great Commission, every time I read it, it just something happens. You know why something happens? Because it says Jesus breathed on them. And when I read it, I think about him breathing on me. Isn't that a beautiful thought of Jesus? You know, that was, that to me, that's some, there's something to that. But this is what he said. So Jesus said to them in verse 21, peace to you. When Jesus breathes on you, that's what comes. And that's why peace is so key. As the Father has sent me. As the Father has sent. Don't you just love those words? Those words are rich. Those words are everything. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Isn't that just beautiful? Man, if it ain't beautiful to you, Lord, let it become beautiful to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I go, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't get, don't work for the Holy Spirit. Don't strive for the Holy Spirit. Just lay back and let the Holy Ghost come. That's all you got to do. It's just saying, yeah. Heck yeah, come on. I love that. Listen to this. This is the great commission in John's gospel. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. So the Great Commission, from John's perspective, is all about forgiveness. It's all about getting people free of sin. Y'all, listen. I think the church, I think we failed in some ways about the sin thing because we haven't preached it from that perspective. We, the way we, not everybody, but I think in general there's been more of a condemning thing about sin. And people have reacted to it because nobody wants to be condemned about their sins because everybody's got some, right? You know, and nobody needs to go and take a beating by it. And that's what John was trying to say. The Great Commission is to tell people, you're forgiven. He's paid for your sins. You can be free of these things. You can be cleansed of this. That's good news. That's health. That's wholeness. And I'm going to tell you another thing about this sin thing, okay? Um, you know, there's sin and there's sins. Y'all know that. There's a difference, right? Sin is what happened in the garden that has perpetuated. Sins are what we do based on living from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When we live from that tree, we're going to sin. But Jesus came and said, listen... Repent. Change the way you think. Shift from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and shift over to the tree of life and you can live and not have to sin all the time. 
Well, I know. I think this is really important because I think the church has to have a, has to have a revelation about sin and, and address sin. But we need to address it from this perspective and not that other mess when you're beating people with it and condemning the world because the Bible says Jesus did not... Con- John three seventeen. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. That's what he said. John, you read the next verse after John three sixteen. The son didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He came to free. He came to heal. And we had to shift our thinking. We had to get that leaven, that religious leaven out of us, that, that thing that really wants to make us do all that other stuff. And it's, you know, it's a process. I get it. You know, we don't get free in a day in a lot of things. All right, I'm going to need to hurry up. It's also a gospel of signs. The gospel of John can be divided up into three parts, literally three parts, okay? And this is, this is the parts. Chapter 1 through chapter 12 is the book of signs. Chapter 13 to chapter 18, chapter 19, actually chapter 20 is the book of glory. And the last chapter is a conclusion, so you got a book of signs where 16 times he uses that word in the first 12 chapters. 16 times he used the word sign. And used it one time, and I read it to you, these signs he did. But all those signs were meant, a sign is a miracle, meant to point us to something. That's why it's a book of signs. That's why we have those miracles in there. Those miracles are to show us something about Christ. To show us something about Him and about what He does. And so that's why it's a book of signs. The book of signs reveal Him. That's what what all those signs are. They're meant to reveal Him. And reveal something about Him and how He flows and how He works. It's pretty amazing. And so, like I said, there's water into the wine. There's the healing of the what they call the nobleman, which is a government official's son. There was a healing of a paralytic by the pool. He fed 5,000. He walked on the water. He healed the man born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and he had a miraculous catch of 153 fish. That's the eighth one. Those are the signs, and every one of them, if you read them, hidden in those things is something about Christ. There's something that will, we can begin to see something about him that we've never seen before. It, there's, it's like there's this revelation, I and mean, that's why John picked those. Only two of them show up in the other Gospels, with Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. The rest of those signs are not in the other Gospels. Now, there is a miraculous catch of fish in Luke, but it's, not, it's different. This is a completely different one, where they had a number of the fish. Okay. Let me just read this. Okay, I'm about done, y'all, because we're going to shift gears here. Let me read John 1.14. This is, in, this is the, the book of glory, the gospel of glory. And, but I do want to read John 1.14 because this is a p- profound verse in the Bible. It's profound. It's got, I was reading, I thought, oh my gosh, this has got everything I want in it. This has got my dream in it. This has got my vision for what I want to do in my life, what I want to see for this church. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who doesn't want that? Dwelt. The Word dwelt among us. 
That's the dream of the church where Christ dwells with the church. Christ lives with the church. And people come and they experience this amazing person. Not an amazing church, not an amazing preacher, not an amazing congregation, not an amazing worship, but they come and experience this person because his presence is there. His glorious presence. That's really the dream. Put in a few words. And it says, we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. So you got the word, you got the Father, you got the glory, you got the grace, you got the truth. Hey, that's pretty serious in one verse. Think about it. That's that's heaven, man. That's the power of God. That's the glory of God. So in the Bible, when God reveals his glory, he's revealing himself if you study the Old Testament. He's, that's what it means. He's, the glory is himself. And so the Gospels, that's what these signs are for, to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, to help us see this person, help us look into his heart and see what it's, it's all about, his beauty, his splendor, his love, his power, his anointing, his beautiful grace, the truth that comes off his lips. Uh, In the Old Testament, God's glory was associated, listen to this, with his tangible presence. Okay? The tangible manifestation of God. That's what it was in the Old Testament. The uh, rabbis of ancient times came up. They made up a word. And every Pentecostal person in the world knows this word, Shekinah glory. Ever heard Shekinah glory? It is not a biblical name, Shekinah. They made it up. And what it means, it means something though. They have kept, they knew something. They were picking up on something. This is what Shekinah glory means. It means he calls to dwell. That's what it means. He calls to dwell. It is the dwelling or the settling of the presence of God. Boy, we should love that term. We want the Shekinah glory. We want God to settle on us. We want him to dwell on us and live in us in a full measure, in a manifested way. And that's what John is going for here, y'all. He's not going for some simple thing. He's going, he's going for the big deal. The gospel of John goes for the big deal, for the kill. The presence of the Lord dwelling and living amongst his people and walking amongst his people with his beauty and being revealed. It's amazing, man. I'm, just, I'm amazed at this. Well, let me give you this one last verse. Uh, and I'm reading this out of the Message Bible. Okay, hurry up. John 8, 23 through 24, because the Message Bible captures this in a beautiful way. John said, Jesus said, he was having a conversation with some Pharisees. And they were trying to rough him up like they always were doing, going after him because of stuff that they didn't appreciate that he was doing. But they were jealous of Jesus. They hated Jesus. They really did. But like I've said before, Pharisees didn't start out bad. They started out amazing if you study their history. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed when I read their historical thing how amazing they began. And But how far you, you can begin amazing with Jesus, but you can drift way away from this person if you don't maintain relationship. And it all started, you know, for them, what they were doing was wonderful, but it, they just drifted. And then when the, when the God that they were trying to promote and protect his word and all that. When he showed up, they hated him. Is that crazy? But we could do the same thing if we're not careful. Jesus said, you're tied down to the mundane. I'm in touch with what is beyond your horizons. You live in, listen, you live in terms of what you see and touch. 
That's your terms. I'm living on other terms. I told you that you were missing God in all of this. Talking about what he was doing, what he was saying in the Gospel of John. You're missing, missing the very God that you worship. You're missing him all this. You're at a dead end. If you won't believe I am who I say I am, you're at a dead end of sins. Jesus said this. You're missing God in your lives. And see, what the Gospel of John does is it teaches us how to see. That's, that's what John wants. He wants us to see him. And exactly what Jesus said, there's other terms for us to live on. There's other ways for us to live. There's things that we can see and hear and know because of Christ. And, but it starts with this person of Christ. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah got caught up and saw the glory of God. And he, the first thing he said was, woe is me. Because that's what the glory of God will do to you. It will, it will disable you. It will humiliate you. You Because you will see. He said, woe is me. I'm a man. I'm a sinner, sinning man. And I live amongst the sinning people. It broke him. It brings you to a place of surrender. And we need that brokenness in the church. We need to be surrendered people. But I'll tell you another thing it'll do. Once we let it process in us, it will bring us to a higher level. It will bring us to a place where we can begin to see what nobody else sees. It's because it taps us into the tree of life. It untaps us from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It disconnects us. It's like unplug it from there and plug it in over here. Our job is to say, I changed my mind. I'm getting unplugged from that. I want to plug in over here. Yeah. And so that's, that's what it will do. It will take you higher. It will free you. It will just do some amazing things with him, with him. And so like I said, you know, at the, moment, at the beginning, uh, you know, it's, it's a shift. It's a shift. Let me say that so I can make sure I say it exactly right. When we believe him, we can discover the way to stop defining ourselves by our failures. Gosh, does anybody need to be freed of that this morning? I know I do. I've, I've, I've had so many failures in my life. Some of them were very small failures, just the way I treated somebody that I loved or something like that that's literally haunted me in my life just because I just couldn't get by it. You know, just failures. And then there's other bigger failures, obviously, but that's a big one. But God doesn't want us to define ourselves by our failures, our sins, anything. He wants, us decide, he wants us to define ourselves like John defined himself. Oh, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. It wasn't that he didn't love the other disciples. He just knew something that they didn't know at that time. He knew something they didn't know. And he, that's why he was able to call himself that. Obviously, God loves everybody. He can't help himself but love him. But this man knew it. This man walked in. And I think that's what the gospel of John. And, and another thing in one of the verses in the message Bible, I love it. He says, a loveless world is a sightless world. Because love enables us to see. Love empowers us to see. I think that's out of John 14. Yeah, ain't that good? I love that. Don't y'all love stuff like this? I love this. Not, I love it because Jesus Christ wants to reveal himself to us in a beautiful way. So I'm going to pray for you, then we're going to, going to shift gears here. And I ask you all just to uh, enjoy what we're going to do in the next few minutes, okay, to, to be with me. And then at the end of this, if you, if you have any need of prayer, we'll have some ministering people to come up after we finish this. But I want to do this. This is so beautiful. But I want to pray for you. Father, I just pray right now. Lord, we just 
these are words, Lord, unless you put life on them. And Lord, unless you bring an impartation into our hearts. And we're asking you for that, Lord. We want that impartation to believe like we've never believed before. To know Christ on a deeper level, Lord. And that we would be changed about ourselves today, Lord. We, there was something happen. We would quit seeing ourselves in that distorted mirror. But we begin to see ourselves in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God. And we're asking you for that. And, Lord, we really do want to be a dwelling place. We know you're in us. We know you're all around everywhere. But we want that manifested glory, that Shekinah glory, that settling down glory. Lord, we're, that's our dream, Lord. That's our dream. That's how we wanted to touch people's life is let them be introduced to you in a, in a magnificent way. And, and encounter Christ. And so I just pray for every person that there would be an encounter released to them. Lord, Lord, I remember Bob Jones back when I used to hang around with him. Everyone I was always around him, Lord, I always had some kind of encounter, some kind of dream, vision, revelation after I was with him. And, Lord, that was because Christ. And so I just pray that for everybody in this room. Just ask you to do that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord's good, isn't he? All right, so here's what we're going to do, y'all. Congratulations. You stuck through it. Um, yeah, Lord help me. Yeah. Yeah. This was a terrible mistake I made. I didn't print this off. Well, you know, in the old days, uh, the way they would do weddings was right at a church. People would get married. Lots of times they didn't do a lot of the things that they did today you know every you know culturally if you study weddings it's crazy i've studied weddings culturally it's insanity how different cultures do weddings uh you know in fact i'll tell you this little secret you will not find one ceremony in the bible a wedding ceremony in the bible there's not one i searched it out and the reason i did was the first wedding I ever did was for my niece. And thank God I went to a, her church, was First Baptist Church. And there was an old First Baptist pastor that had done 150 weddings at least. Coached me, told me how to do it. And he said, you got to buy this little book called the Minister's Manual. That's what you need. And I'm thinking, well, where is it in the Bible, man? I mean, shouldn't there be a ceremony in the Bible? There's not one. They are 30, the mention of a wedding of a marriage 35 times. Obviously, Jesus loved marriage, but there was no ceremony. And it's because every culture is a little different. And in and and, and the Hebrew culture of Jesus' day, there was not a ceremony. The first marriage that ever happened was God just said, Hey, Adam, here's your wife. Isn't she beautiful? Y'all go and do your thing and take over the earth and have some kids. That was the wedding ceremony. There was some crazy stuff. Jacob, his uncle, hey, you want to marry Rachel? Okay. And guess what? Somehow or another, when they got together, he found ain't Rachel. That's, that's the sister, Leah. I didn't bargain for her. You know? Even the wedding at Canada, that was just a party. And all the stories that Jesus told about Windsor parties, it was a big party time. Well, this morning we're going to do a wedding right now. Yay. So I'd like to bring up Mr. Steve Elliott, Dr. Steve Elliott, and Phyllis Young. Yeah. yeah.
for many of you who don't know, uh, I don't really know Phyllis as well as I do. That was his marriage life. I told him, you better bring that. I've literally had people I've married that didn't bring their marriage license. Like, uh, I kind of need that. People had to sign that. You, you know, you need it from a legal perspective. One person lost it. Literally lost their marriage license. Never got signed. Never, oh, that's a lot like, mm, ain't my problem. I did my job. I ain't the law. Um, but Dr. Elliot, uh, I wanted to point out, many of you don't know him. He's been a part of our church for, what, 2008 probably, right? And we had a ministry called the Wellness Center years ago. And the, and the Wellness Center uh, had a two-pronged approach. It, there was a medical side and there was a counseling side. And Dr. Lenora Burning was, was over it, and she was the medical part of it because she was a medical doctor, an MD. But Dr. Steve was over the counseling part. And he, we would never have done what we was able to do without him. Nobody knew it, but it was under his cover and under his licensings as a psychologist to be able to have uh, counselors come in and work under him. So I want to just give you honor for that, and thank you for doing that. You know, just unknown, and, you know, this is probably not, I know this is not y'all's first rodeo, right? <laughs> so they are not really interested in doing a bunch of other stuff, but. They are interested in getting married, and we have the pleasure of witnessing them being married and joining them in celebrating this moment. Amen? Yeah, so I'm going to step down here uh, because I want to be down here with y'all. So y'all step back a little bit. No, I'm going to step down, darling. Becky keeps me straight. Either way. The way y'all want to do it. Yeah. Um, we have rings, correct? Yay, good. Glad you brought those. You didn't forget them, did you? Yeah, they have rings. That's important. Or you'd have messed up my marriage ceremony. <laughs> rings are important in our ceremony, y'all. First, I want to read a... First, let me just say this. I'm going to read this verse, which I think is profound. It comes from the, from the Passion Translation. It's uh, Psalm 139, verse 5. And this is what it says. And this is so beautiful, and I want y'all to receive this from the Lord. It, he says, you, you, being of the Lord, the Lord has gone into your future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. So today, the Lord is creating a future for you. Okay? And this is part of your future, your future together. But also what God has done, and y'all have a past, right? Probably not all great neither. <laughs> you have a past. We all have a past, a little past. But God is going, he falls behind us to protect us from our past. So we're going to declare over you, your past has no control over you. It's, it's over with. And it, isn't that beautiful how God is in our future and he's in our past and he's in our now? Isn't that beautiful? Listen to this. With your hand of love upon my life, you imparted a father's blessing to me. Isn't that beautiful? So let's pray that they would literally feel the hand of love on them and, and, and give them the father's blessing. That's, that's what I want this ceremony to be for them.
This is not a long ceremony. This is a short ceremony. But this is really important. And I do believe God wants to give a father's blessing to both of them. Because that will change your life. That will make you... It'll make you such better people. It'll make you to be the person God created you to be. And God's put you together to help each other become that person. Because God's not through with either one of you, even though you've got a few few years behind you. Okay? But you've got years ahead of you. And God's not done with you. And God's got more for both of you. And God's put you together to help each other become the best version of each other. And so your destiny is being married and your purposes are being married. Amen. Amen. So let's, I want y'all to reach your hands towards them. Um, and I'm just going to pray, put my hand on, or I'll put my hand here to get both of them. So, Father, we thank you today for a father's blessing. We, we thank you that the father blesses marriage. And we thank you that you are releasing your love on them in a way that they've never known. And you're going to release a revelation of the father to them. And they will know it. They will experience it. And whenever the past tries to rise up against us, it will be cast down in the name of Jesus. We just declare that. And we just release that blessing to them right now in the name of Jesus. And we break every curse of the devil off on them. And we declare the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ upon them right now. Every claim that Satan has over them, we break that claim and say they're under the blood and they belong to Jesus they're sons and daughters of the Almighty in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. So I would like for you to join your hands together and take these vows. Steve, do you, do you Steve, take Phyllis to be your wife and best friend? Do you promise to honor her and trust her with your heart and prefer her above yourself and others? Do you vow to encourage her, fight for her, and protect her? Do you pledge to challenge her and dream with her and walk into the fullness of God's will together? Do you commit to love her in sickness and in health, hardship and suffering, and never leave or forsake her until the Lord calls you home? Yay. Do you, Phyllis, take Steve to be your husband... And best friend, do you promise to honor him and trust him with your heart and prefer him above yourself and others? Do you vow to encourage him, fight for him, and protect his heart? Do you pledge to challenge him, dream with him, and walk into the fullness of God's wills together? And do you commit to love him in sickness and in health, hardship and suffering, and never leave or forsake him until the Lord calls you home? <laughs> Sounds good so far. <laughs> As a token of your vows, you will give and exchange rings. And so the rings are a symbol of the covenant you're making together to, today. And you're to wear these rings with love and joy. And I just pray that your marriage be full of joy. For they witness the commitment you've, you're making here today. So Steve, place... Place the ring on Phyllis's fingers and repeat after me. Phyllis? Phyllis? As a constant reminder of my love and faithfulness, with this ring, 
I join my life to yours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Phyllis, place your ring, place the ring on Steve's finger and repeat after me. It's beautiful. Steve. Stephen, as a constant reminder of my love and faithfulness, with this ring, I join my life to yours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now I would like for both of y'all to repeat after me. This is a, a scripture from the book of Ruth. It's called a friendship vow. It's, so, it's one of the most beautiful verses Ever, I just, I just love this verse. Every time I read it, I feel touched by the Lord. Uh, so I'm going to read it. I want y'all to look at each other's eyes. Listen to me and look in each other's eyes. And I want you to say it to each other and say it with your heart. Okay? Don't urge me to leave you. Or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Oh, yeah. Now, you're not quite married yet. <laughs> you got to let me finish. I want to pray a prayer of dedication. If you will, put, put your hands towards them. Let's, let's dedicate this couple uh, this is just as important as a 20-year-old husband. You know, man, life is beautiful even in older times. So, Father, we just dedicate this marriage to you first. We, we, we want to say this. Let it be a marriage made in heaven. Let heaven come into this marriage. And let this marriage be, be marked by joy and kindness and generosity and peace, Lord. And let it be a, a marriage that will uh, provoke others to find, find the Christ that they truly carry with them. And so, Lord, we dedicate it. We dedicate it into you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Okay, this is the, the declaration. Um, now that Steve and Phyllis have given themselves to each other by solemn vows, with the giving and receiving of rings... By the authority of the Word of God, I pronounce that they are husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let those whom God has joined together, let no one pull apart. Steve, you can kiss your wife. <laughs> so, let's, yeah, let's give Mr. and Mrs. Steve Elliott a hand. So they came in the door single. They're going out the door married. <laughs> Woo, thank you, Lord. Thanks. If you'd like to congratulate them, you can. Bless the Lord.